Welcome to Hair of the Werewolf. I'm Chase, and I'm here with my co-host, Lily. Hello. We are a supernatural horror podcast where we tell each other stories that are allegedly true in an attempt to scare each other and often have a few drinks along the way. <laughs> Cheers to all of you who are joining us tonight. We are trying to clear out our pantry and fridge because we're getting ready to move pretty soon. Yes. And I found an unopened jar of olives, so... I decided I didn't want those to go to waste, so I bought vodka so we could have martinis. <laughs> it seemed like the responsible thing it's to do. really the only way to consume olives, to be honest. So, dirty martinis. <laughs> do we have any news? Uh, nothing really new, except the fact that we're moving, and that's been pretty hectic. So, our recording has been a little wonky uh, when we have time for that. So, hopefully, we'll get better with our schedule. <laughs> yeah, once we once we get all settled in and we're in our new pad. Yeah. Um... So it looks like you've got a pretty good story for us today. What do you have? So today, my friends, I have the Moon River Brewing Company. Ooh. Do you know where that is? I don't, but it's a brewing company, so it's in the hearts of all of us. (laughs) Yeah, I instantly like it already. It's actually located in Savannah, Georgia, um, Hmm. on 21 West Bay Street, if you are in the area and want to go there. This is unanimously considered to be one of the most haunted places in Savannah, which is saying something because people also believe that Savannah is one of the most haunted places in the United States. So it's like the most haunted of the haunted. But if I'm not mistaken, isn't like the Deep South and the New England area the two haunted places? Like near Salem with the witch trials and the Deep South, like that's where all the horror stories come from. Yes, and then, you know, you have your whole South, you're like, okay, for sure, and New England area. But then there's some cities who are just had a particularly violent um, past. Past and just a lot more activity has occurred. I don't know why. Like so, New Orleans, like we talked about that. That's so you, definitely one. So my big question, you might already, you might answer in the story, but was this an area that was haunted before the brewery came there or is it the brewery is the first known air, like instance of this haunting in this area? I think it's going to be the most it's going to be the first instance, and it's because of its history. Oh, okay, okay. Yeah, so it's kind of, it compiles, and then the brewery's Perfect. like, we don't have any deaths, but we're suffering now. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, the building itself is four stories, and it was originally a city hotel when it was built in 1821 mm-hmm. by Eliezer and Jan Early. Those are some old names. Eliezer. Eliezer. <laughs> I was like, how do you say that? I don't think I've ever heard that name in my life. Ali- well, maybe I'm saying it wrong. It's E-L-E-A-Z-E-R. It's got a Z. I have no idea. Elazar? Elizer? Eliezer. Who knows? Either way, uh, I'm just going to move on. <laughs> the- I can't imagine the amenities at an 1800s hotel being that good. Um, I don't know. It was pretty luxurious when it was first built. Um, one, it was the first hotel in the city. And it also hosted or had its first post office, and it also had the first bank of the United States. So it was kind of like a really important structure. Oh, wow. Exactly. So like I said, it is a luxurious hotel. It was really fancy. Um, but despite this, a lot of violence did take place there at the bar between guests. The violence often stemmed from heated conversations between politicians and businessmen. There was one particular bloody incident that occurred in 1832 between James Stark, who was considered the town drunk, and Dr. Phillips Minus, or Minis, depending how you want to say it. I've heard people say it different ways. The two had also been enemies for a while, and this incident was the boiling point. Um, In one drunk-filled night, Stark started verbally abusing Minus with anti-Semitic comments because he was Jewish. However, it wasn't until Stark called Minus a coward that he could not take it anymore. Um, So when the two crossed paths again between, I think it was the second and third floor staircase, Minus reached for his gun and fatally shot Stark. 
Minus claimed that he thought Stark was reaching for his gun because he put his hand in his pocket, but no one knows for sure. That's the kind of explanation you come up with like 30 minutes after you do it when the cops are arriving. (laughs) You're like, I swear. I thought I saw a gun. Yeah. It's just like whenever there's a car accident, you can see like the people freak out at first, but as the time passes before the cops arrive, they start to concoct a story in their brain to make them look less like an asshole exactly he really didn't get creative there but he just (laughs) but he got away with it because luckily for minus his charges were brought down to justifiable homicide and uh the reasoning for it was because it was an affair of honor it also helped that nobody liked stark I want to see that stuff happen today, where it's like, oh, yeah. It does happen today. No, Jeff down the street got off because it was considered a fight for his honor, justifiable murder. That would not fly today. Okay, maybe the wording has changed, but people get away with murder. So, yeah, I mean, he got away with it. I think a lot of it is because he was a doctor, and then Stark was just, like, a drunk. So that's what I'm saying. Like, that stuff does happen today, you know? Okay, yeah, I'll Um, I'll totally agree with that, yeah. Anyway, (laughs) yeah. Eventually, the hotel was sold to Peter Wiltsberger in 1831. He kept it as a hotel, renovated it, and then decided to have real a real-life lion and lioness displayed in the hotel to boost up business. Because I guess it already had like a pretty bad reputation. Mm. Yeah, just some lions, whatever. Uh, the bloodshed and violence, unfortunately, though, did not stop. And at this Were point... Were the lions involved? Oh, my God. <laughs> I, ho- I wish. No, they're not, unfortunately. So, yeah, the tension between guests that were going to the hotel was really, really climbing because of the hostile political climate that would eventually lead to the Civil War. Sure. So there was just like a lot of stuff going on at the time. One documented example of these violent acts was in 1860. A New Yorker by the name of James Sinclair was staying at the hotel. He was quiet and basically kept to himself. But unfortunately, the locals learned he was a Yankee and a little mom formed. They dragged him out of the hotel, lynched him, and was almost killed. He did manage to escape. I don't know how. Maybe they just let him go. But it's just kind of one that was recorded, and we're just getting a taste of what was really going on. Absolutely. Yeah, the hotel itself did eventually close in 1864, not just because of the violence, but, of course, the Civil War was now in full swing. During this time, just after it closed... The fourth floor of the building served as a Confederate hospital that they called the River Battery Hospital. I also read somewhere that it was a hospital for both the North and the South, which I guess I never really thought about, but I suppose doctors and nurses wouldn't be very biased. You know, they're like, this guy's wounded, we need to help them. Yeah. I don't know. I just, in my head, I never considered like, I would just assume they would have different stations or they wouldn't want to be in the same room. But if you're really that wounded, would you really care? (laughs) Just I, like I wouldn't care. I know. So I don't know. It just like made me think for a second. I'm like, oh, yeah, I guess they could be in the same hospital. I don't know. <laughs> Conserve your resources. Yeah, exactly. So following this, uh, there was also a yellow fever outbreak that occurred in the 1870s. That was really bad um, in that area. The hospital was full of patients, mostly being children and young people who were hit the hardest. Many of them died. By the early 1900s, the building turned into a lumber and coal warehouse then an office supply store in the 1960s, but unfortunately Hurricane Dave caused the place to close down. Now, when these two other places that had nothing to do with violence or anything like that 
never heard anything about hauntings. So, or as far as I know, they didn't happen though. It People could have run on me, just not have wanted to mention anything. Or yeah, and it could have just not yet been popularized because the reason why the Moon River Brewing Company might have had more of this is because of the attention that eventually got from TV shows and mm. things like that. So, it has always been happening. It just it wasn't until much later as the brewery was opened. They were like, oh, this has been happening forever, but y'all just care now. Do you know what I'm saying? Like, yeah. it just depends on when people care. So speaking of that, we're going to go fast forward to 1999 because since the 1960s, it was closed. And uh, in 1999 was when the building was purchased by Moon River Brewing Company. And since then, countless paranormal stories from staff and guests have surfaced, which I will now go into and talk about. Perfect. Yay. So Eugene Biko, the current owner, has been quoted saying, quote, I have seen and experienced things that I don't understand and I can't explain, end quote. Alternatively, the other bar owner, John Pinkerton, who is also their brewmaster, has a different perspective. He said, quote, I finally cannot claim any experiences that I call paranormal. What I often point out is that the scariest things on this planet are living people, dot, 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 in particular, drunk living people, end quote. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I was like, eh, he's not wrong. Uh, The original plan for the building was to renovate and use every single floor, which again, it's four stories high and not including the basement. The renovations were set into motion and the contractors began to work. However, that didn't last very long because all of his employees soon abandoned the project and refused to return. They claimed to hear voices and see apparitions. The contractor, now alone, had to do all the work himself. And so, since he was working along hours, his wife would often bring him his meals. Well, one day, after she dropped off his food, she was walking back downstairs between the second and third floor, which is where, if you recall, where Stark died, where he was shot. Yeah, yeah. Um, when out of nowhere, she felt a hard push behind her, knocking her down. She was fine, a little hurt, but fine. And when her husband, the contractor, heard what happened, he packed up his tools and never returned. So this is why when you visit the brewery today, the only part of the the building that's renovated is the first floor. And all the other floors are still, I mean, to me, they still look like they're in the 1850s. Like dilapidated? Very dilapidated looking. Ooh, I yeah. see them. It's super creepy. It's pretty cool looking. Like they couldn't find another contractor? I mean. I don't know. I mean. <laughs> I totally understand if someone's spooked, but this contractor packed up and left. And I'd like to point out, it didn't even happen to him. It was hearsay from his wife. And he's just like, but, nope, 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 nope. Well, I mean, she was like physically hurt and then you know all his employees had left screaming as well so i'm guessing at this point he's like you know i just really don't want to deal with this anymore so yeah that is why it looks like that in case anyone's curious that or they're using that as an excuse they're like uh we don't we just don't want to <laughs> we couldn't afford either. to pay we couldn't afford it, so. it. <laughs> we made Contractor up the left because it was haunted <laughs> yeah okay so now i'm going to kind of talk about the different areas the hot spots in the building as well So in the bar restaurant area, people often feel being touched or pushed by unseen forces. Staff say that they frequently see barware and silverware being pushed off empty tables. They think it might be the good old James Stark acting a drunk fool again. (laughs) It's a fun story, I guess they tell. In one particular incident, while the bar was open and completely crowded, a woman dressed in 1800s attire was seen walking around. Many people saw her, including the bartender that was working that night. The bartender assumed that she was an actress until she started walking towards him and disappeared right in front of him. As soon as this happened, everyone in the room fell silent. 
not just because people saw what happened, but because there was a noticeable energy shift that made people look around and feel weird. I would have loved to have been there for that. So how many people <laughs> saw her disappear? Because part of me was like, okay. It was a lot of people. So it was a lot of people in different instances. Because like I said, she was walking around. You now seeing her disappear, it was definitely the bartender and maybe people that were around. Well, see, that's what I'm curious about. Yeah. Because that was a brilliant PR move. If you just hire someone to dress up in period appropriate clothing to just walk through. Yeah. And then just leave. And, and everyone's like, what was that? You're like, I don't know. <laughs> no, it was pretty crowded. And again, it wasn't like everyone witness this it was kind of like this entire sense of energy like mm. completely shift and they everyone just fell silent all right and that was what everyone experienced for sure super cool i don't know uh, this same woman has been reported many times on the top of the first floor stairs one time a manager saw her uh, and he was like do you need any help when the woman finally acknowledged him she became startled and disappeared this to me was very interesting because this ghost is interactive. Mm-hmm. Uh, she's clearly aware that she might be dead and that she's communicating with the living. So I don't know. We don't get that a lot. And I thought that was pretty, pretty different. I liked it. <laughs> because the addict has also been used to house patients with yellow fever, many of the experiences and apparitions that appear there are of children. They especially appear in photographs. In one of the tours I watched on YouTube, there's this guide. So they tour these dead floors? Oh, you can take a haunted tours. Yeah. Oh, see, that's awesome. It we is have so to amazing. Go. I know. Well, I don't know how it is right now. I'm guessing they're still doing tours, but I mean, with the pandemic, but. How far is Savannah from Atlanta? Because my friend Joe. Uh, pff, my friend know. Joe, when he's out in Atlanta, <laughs> uh, we got to ask if he's going to go check out this brewery. Maybe we could go visit him and we could all go to this brewery. I know. Oh, my gosh. That'd be so much fun. Take a little road trip. Uh, Yeah, so tours are available, by the way. And in one of these tours, the guide mentioned that oftentimes when people take pictures of the rafters, you will see the faces of children. That's creepy. That's awful. (laughs) They apparently like to hang out up there. Um, So I don't know what that means, but like they also like to play tricks is what she also said. So I think they kind of do it to be funny. Um, really terrifying children thing. Yeah, I, I don't think a ghost child could ever not be creepy. I'd never be like, oh, but he's just having fun and playing jacks or something. Yeah. I'm like, that fucking creepy ass kid is playing jacks. Get out of here. Oh, throw some McDonald's. Distract him. I know. It's like throw a toy and run. I don't know. Uh, yeah, that's terrifying to me. The children are often heard in the hallways uh, talking and playing. So you do hear the voices, of course. A woman in white has also been seen either in the attic or on the third floor. She also goes by the name Mrs. Johnson, but I never found a reason why that is. Like, there's no story behind her. And also, I never figured out why she's in a white dress, but there's always a white ghost, so I'm not really... I always assume when they say white dress that they're supposed to be, like, in a wedding gown because it's supposed to be, like, super traumatic or something. No one... I didn't really get a good description of what the dress looked like, but she was just in a white dress. Okay. I don't know about that one. Anyway, what she likes to do is just appear in front of you and then disappear. You just kind of see her around. Sure. She doesn't really do a whole lot. There's, of course, a ghost that inhabits the basement. They call him Toby. Toby is considered to be an evil spirit, and there are different interpretations of this ghost. Some people think that it's a grown man, while others think it's a young boy. I'm like, why can't there be more than one ghost? But I guess this is just why what Why can't this- they all be Tobys <laughs> why as well? Can't- they're all Tobys. The royal Toby. <laughs> Old Toby and young Toby. Young Toby. Ooh, Toby's of time. (laughs) (laughs) Maybe, maybe. 
Uh, one staff member saw a human-shaped shadowy figure on the wall when it started walking towards them. Possibly just a shadow. Just a shadow. It's just them walking backwards. <laughs> yeah, <What>? like, <laughs> when people see shadows, for the most part, I'm like, you saw a shadow. But it was this, probably a shadow. But this shadow came out of the wall towards them. I don't think it got smaller. Unless, mm. I don't know what happened. All right. uh, people often get pushed and no one's around. On another occasion, a local patron was alone in the back room of the basement when she suddenly felt someone in front of her begin to choke her and then continue to push her backwards. That one is not a shadow. Yeah. That, <laughs> yeah. If you're getting choked by a shadow, something's wrong. Yeah. That's a little weird. Um, I, As someone who doesn't like, I'm pretty sensitive to being choked like the choking thing <laughs> i think everyone is a uh, no no I, I, i'm not saying like, like well i know there's people who are just like ooh, choke me more no, no i don't mean it like that but i guess it's something that bothers me a lot like i'm always the guy who's like kind of pulling at my uh neckline so you on don't even like wearing necklaces really or not really like that. there's yeah. something that kind of bothers me i think if i go into a place and i feel like i'm getting choked by a ghost i'm probably gonna nope the fuck out Oh, God. Yeah, I think I would do the same thing. I mean, as much as I love this stuff, I don't want to ever physically get harmed. Just like I like going to parties, but I don't want someone to like start a fight with me. Mm -hmm. You know what I mean? It's just just one of those things. So in the basement as well, many people described feeling oppressed, almost like they can't breathe. Then the moment they leave, they instantly feel better, like a weight has been lifted. So again, Mm -hmm. it's kind of like the suffocation feeling that they're getting down there. That's how I feel when I get out of like basements because i hate basements but and that's because you're just like, claustrophobic yeah i know but i'm like <laughs> i know the feeling to like this instant elation I, I know it right yeah people will also feel like someone is breathing down their necks when they're down there so there's definitely someone who's watching so like i said before how this place really got known is because at some point there have been tons of paranormal investigators that have visited this place a lot of them being very famous and a lot of them that I love, like Ghost Hunters and Unsolved Supernatural. They've both been there, as well as Ghost Adventures. Anyway, I was only able to watch the Unsolved because it's on YouTube, but all the other popular investigative shows I couldn't see because they're on different streaming services totally. that we don't have. So, oh well. But in the Unsolved episode, they did capture some indiscernible whispering during their EVP sessions. And I thought that was pretty cool because it did sound pretty distinct, like there was someone else there. But could you make out words? Uh, or was it just so like... They, they tried. I think one of them said, it said, kiss me or something like that. Uh, yeah, pretty cool. But it, you know, it sounds like a, it sounds like a voice for sure. Okay. But you can't tell exactly what they're saying. Uh, the Unsolved guys also mentioned that when a prominent investigative show went to the Moon River, one of their investigators was allegedly possessed momentarily while they were in the basement. I don't know which ghost show they were referring to, but I'm I'm going to go ahead and guess <laughs> that it's Ghost Adventures. <laughs> it sounds like something from Ghost Adventures. <clears throat> I mean, don't get me wrong. They're, they're pretty dramatic, but I mean, it's a fun show to watch. Whatever. But, but momentarily possessed, it's totally like when that person calls into the work, they're like, I'm so sick. I'm vomiting. I think I might have like the flu and like the stomach bug and all at once. And they show up the next day and they look like a million dollars. Like it was just one of those 24 hour bugs. I'm like, you're full Psych. of yourself. Not true. <laughs> So this is exactly what he did. He's like, I don't want to go full possession, so because I want to do the show next week, so it's gonna be a half. We should we should totally just <laughs> use that for now. Like if one of us, like if we're ever like around people and like we have to like burp or fart, we should just do it. Like, oh, sorry, I was just momentarily possessed. That wasn't me. <laughs> no, I'm not doing that. I'm cutting that out. <laughs> um, that is what's happening. Oh, 
I was also able to watch uh, clips of Ghost Hunters on YouTube. Not the entire episode. It was like a minute here, a minute there from the show. And they were actually able to capture strange mist that formed in front of a stationary camera that did look weird. They also caught a shadowy figure running back and forth on the wall facing the camera. And uh, I'm not going to lie. That one looked really creepy the way it looked. I just didn't know. It would have been very difficult to do, I think. To fake, you mean? To fake. But, I mean, anyone, anything can be faked, obviously. But I'm just saying, like, that one looked pretty good. It was that captivating. Good. It was captivating. So here are some personal accounts that I got to find here and there on different articles and stuff. So during one of the ghost tours, a woman began to panic because one side of her body, the right side, mm-hmm. grew incredibly cold okay. in an instant. Um, she was also hearing voices, but couldn't make out what they were saying. And it got so bad that the tour guide had to take her outside to calm down. And she said that as soon as she stepped out of the building, everything disappeared. So it Mm. felt like, yeah, like she was getting possessed or something, like something was starting up with her. So I'm glad that she got out of there. Another guy tells a story about a time that he was on a date with a girl. At one point during the dinner, she excused herself to go to the bathroom. Ten minutes passed, and he's thinking that maybe he was ditched. Right? I would, too. (laughs) He's like, uh, okay. I would totally, yeah. Uh, A little while later, though, she finally does come back, and she sits at the table, but he can clearly see that she was crying. He asks her what's wrong, and she says that she was trapped in the bathroom stall. And she's like, I know what it sounds like. I made sure that it was unlocked. I couldn't I couldn't get anyone's intention. I started kind of yelling. And at some point, she didn't know what else to do, so she kind of yelled out, let me out of this stall, at which point the door easily swung open. Mm. Yeah, not cool. Uh, when the waitress came by their table to refill their drinks, she noticed that the date was crying and asked her if she was okay. The date was like, you won't believe me, but, and then told her the story. The waitress then casually replied, quote, yeah, you're not the first to have that happen to them. The ghosts like to hang out in the women's restroom for some reason, end They're quote. perverts. They're perverts. <laughs> All these business rich men who used to visit the hotel. I mean, it already sucks if you're a ghost. You're like, man, I'm already dead. But why would you hang out in any bathroom? It's like, of all the places, I'm just going <laughs> to stick around. Let's go to where it's going to smell bad half the time. Like, no, I don't know. Terrible. I mean, there was that one ghost in Harry Potter, right? Myrtle, right? The one who I'm, couldn't stop crying? Yeah, I know she cried a lot. It's really annoying. <laughs> yeah, so there's that. The same guy had another experience. So this is his second story. That while he was having dinner with a friend... She, at some point, jumped out, out of her seat and looked completely freaked out. Mm. He asked her, like, what's going on? Are you okay? And she said that something had grabbed her thigh twice. The first time she thought it was him, which I'm like, okay. <laughs> My first thought was, is he getting fresh under there? <laughs> All right. He's like, at first I thought it was you, is like what she said. And then the second time she realized, okay, it cannot be him because both his hands were on the table. And that's when she <laughs> He's jumped really up. He's really good with his feet. <laughs> <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> he's just a chimp okay um (laughs) so i like how i'm so willing to accept that a guy has like (laughs) physical deformations or creepy fetishes before i'm like there's a ghost oh my god don't go on a date with this guy people yeah so she got really spooked left immediately and then has never returned that's what he said uh there was another story where our bar manager back in 2008 said that while he was working in his office a bottle that was sitting on a shelf was thrown at his head mm. <laughs> while he was working. 
Did it hit him? Uh, it did hit him. <laughs> okay, I was like, did he dodge it or is it like smack? Who did that? <laughs> Why would you do this? Uh, yeah, so we don't know who this ghost is, but like that is often a very common occurrence with staff members is that they have like stuff thrown at them. I'm like, what the heck? Like being a waiter or bartender or even just working in the food industry is hard enough. This is just too much for me. <laughs> yeah. And then ghosts are throwing crap at me. I know. It's like, okay, I get the customer hostility, but not from ghosts, please. Um, there are some fun tour guide tales that I found. In one article, a tour guide shared many of his favorite stories. One skeptic uh, that he recalled during a tour went there because his wife made him. Mm-hmm. He would make comments here and there, like, at least we get a free beer at the end. You know, he's basically being insufferable. Absolutely. Uh, anyway, the the guide ended the tour while they were still on, on the second floor, and everyone made their way back down the stairs. The tour guide happened to be behind the skeptic, and at one point he saw that the guy grabbed his neck and then turned around and looked at him. You know, kind of suspiciously, like, why would you touch me? Like, he, he can see what was happening. Yeah. But then the guy was like, kind of turned around and then kept going. Later, that skeptic admitted he felt a hand grip him by the back of the neck, which at first he thought it was a tour guide, but he knew that couldn't be possible because he was so far away from him, Mm. from behind. Yeah, so he was like, I don't know. So he was kind of turned into a believer at that point. Another guy on a different tour, again, same kind of scenario. His wife made him go there. He didn't believe it. Blah, blah, blah. Well, again, when the tour ended on the second floor and they were making their way back downstairs, the guy noticed that the guy stopped and twisted around like he was caught in a spider web. Like he looked really weird. Uh, eventually, like a huge spider web or something? Like, I don't know. Okay. Yeah, like okay. he was just kind of like struggling. Um, eventually, they made it back downstairs and the guy went straight to the exit door. And he's like, okay, you know, maybe he needed a fresh air, whatever. But after a while, when the guy's wife and the tour guide went out to go check on him, they found him teary eyed and sitting on the sidewalk. He admitted that when they were on the stairs, something grabbed his head, neck, and shoulders and wouldn't let him go. He said, quote, I, I thought these stories were just made up. You need to warn people, end quote. <laughs> <laughs> I'm like, he does warn you. totally you. lied to me. Yeah, I was like, why do you think he was doing this whole thing? Because there aren't any ghosts? <laughs> he did this because there's ghosts. Anyways, just thought it was funny. <laughs> I didn't expect them to touch me. <laughs> Oh, uh, lesson learned, bitch. Just kidding. <laughs> <laughs> um, on another tour, while the guide was telling a story upstairs, she noticed that a young woman became noticeably concerned. For the rest of the tour, she was very jumpy and looked like uh, she was waiting for something to happen. Like she kept looking behind her shoulders, you know, things like that. When the tour was over and they were at the bar, the woman came up to the guide and said, I liked your stories uh, from upstairs, but I didn't understand part of it. After asking which part of the story she didn't understand, the young woman was like, oh no, not the not the story part. I'm talking about the woman in period costume walking around in the hallway right behind you. The guide was like, uh, <laughs> one, I don't know what you're talking about. And two, she had to like break the news to her that no one else saw the woman and that they don't use actors or any other theatrics. And, <laughs> and you can just imagine. She just sits there and she's like, just like help. <laughs> She's like, where are you, Ashton? Am I being punked? Yeah. Am I being punked? Yeah, exactly. Um, unfortunately, she was not. And it was a ghost that she saw. It was like that 1800s woman that I talked about earlier. It was and in the bar. It was. No, well, it was on the first floor because she likes to hang out also on the top of the stairs of the first, between the first and the second floor. And yeah, so that would have been kind of the area that they were in. 
again, pretty awesome. And she knew what she was doing because I told you that woman likes to like interact. You ever notice though that a lot of ghosts are just seen like walking around? They're never like <laughs> doing something. They're like picking something up or cooking or I mean I know they're not cooking like real food, but I mean like cooking ghost food. Like that's the dumbest thing I've ever said in my life. Ghost food. <laughs> no, but I mean like it, like if you're seeing images of what they were doing in the past, you'd like see her as if she were in the 1800s preparing some sort you of mean like, like food uh, or doing stuff. Capturing like, moments of their lives. Yeah, exactly. That's what I mean by cooking. I, I don't mean ghost cook food, but I mean they're always just walking around aimlessly. And you know, no, so I know. ghosts are never doing anything. But the thing is, is that I have talked about in the past, like they see ghosts kind of just reenacting the things that they did in the past. Exactly. So that's why, why um, don't you not see, I don't, I, I never hear do, stories about you that. You do hear, I mean, you, there are definitely stories like that, but more often than not, they might be um, just wandering because they don't do anything else at this point. Like you said, they can't cook ghost food. So, <laughs> so what else are they going to do? They're going to walk around. Bored. They're just bored, uh, I guess, and trying to hang out. Get cardio. Yeah. You know, movement. Gotta, gotta hit those steps. I don't know. But anyway, if you guys ever do go on a ghost tour or just hang out at the restaurant, they do ask people to not taunt the ghost because they will reciprocate. And that is the end of my story. So this is Moon River Brewing Company in Savannah, Georgia. Yes, it is. I'm pretty excited. I know. I think it'd be great to go to Savannah. I think it's a it's, cool name. Yeah. But whenever I hear Moon River, there's a song that goes like Moon River or something like that. So I don't know. I don't know, but I'm. I will always <laughs> go to any brewery uh, just to try it out. So I'm. So then totally you will go the there. You're not scared. I will totally go there. I will okay. totally go on the tour. I'll see if I get uh, felt up by a ghost and see if it terrifies me. <laughs> no, apparently with men you don't get felt up. You get choked. So be Sweet. careful. <laughs> apparently, I'm into that choking thing. So it'll be really good. It'll be really good. Oh man, if you really do taunt the ghost, though, I'm just gonna have a camera on hand just so you know. <laughs> So I think it's time for another martini because these olives aren't going to eat themselves. So let's get another drink and come back because I got a story for you. Woohoo! See you in a few. Okay, everyone, we're back and Chase made us more martinis. So I am so ready for our next story. So it's time for an end of episode <laughs> encounter. Last week, I talked about the Gorman dogfight incident, which was one of the several major UFO sightings that occurred in 1948 and were heavily investigated by the government's top secret UFO investigative organization known as Project Sign and would eventually become something called Project Blue Book. Mm -hmm. That is a story for another episode. Today, we are continuing along that path as I'm going to talk about another one of those important 1948 UFO sightings. However, this incident is notable for having a tragic outcome. I'm going to be talking about what has come to be known as the Mantell UFO incident. I find this particular incident fascinating because it actually involves a fatality. <gasps> Whoa, uh, we don't get those a lot. Some even claim it is the first known fatality as a result of a UFO in recorded history. First? So there's mm -hmm. been more? <laughs> Apparently, and I can't wait to research those, but what? I was like, I can't get lost in that. I'm doing this one. Okay. This event predates the Gorman dogfight by several months. This, uh, mm. The Gorman dogfight was in October of 48. Uh, this one took place on January 7th, 1948, uh, mostly in Kentucky or in the skies above Kentucky. Sightings actually took place around a very large area, hundreds of miles apart from each other. Most of them were in Kentucky, but several were in Ohio and mm -hmm. the edge of Tennessee. 
A report was received at the Goodman Airfield located in Fort Knox, Kentucky, from the highway patrol that mentioned an unusual flying object was in the sky. This was the first of many sightings that would be reported over a short period of time across the state and into Ohio. Mm. Four people in the base control tower are on record for having clearly seen this object in the sky. The object was suggested to be up to 300 feet or 90 meters wide. That's massive. Yeah. Colonel Guy Hicks, who was the base commander at Fort Knox, saw the object himself. He described it as being very large, around a quarter of the size of the full moon, as it would have been in the sky. Hmm. He used binoculars to further investigate the object, and claims were there was a red area on the bottom. He also claimed that it did not appear to move and stayed still in the sky for over an hour. Reports from Ohio around the same time describe either the same object or a very similar object. At one airfield, which was 200 miles to the northeast of Fort Knox, they described the object as having a green gaseous emission. And another 44 miles to the northeast at Lockburn Army Airfield, witnesses from the base claimed, quote, Just before leaving, it came very near the ground, staying down for about 10 seconds, then climbed at a very fast rate back to its original altitude, which was about 10,000 feet, Mm. leveling off and disappearing into the overcast heading 120 degrees. Its speed was greater than 500 miles per hour in level flight, end quote. So these people saw it go straight down to the ground, then back up and moving very fast. So one person sees it still, one person sees it moving. They're around the same time. Are they seeing the same object? Are they seeing different objects? You said in the same town, like in the same... This one was 244 miles to the northeast at Lockburn Army Airfield. So this one was in Ohio. So across two states, they're seeing it. Yeah, so I mean, there's a chance that there's more than one, right? Is That's that, the way I'm seeing it, okay. but you know, it's a, the whole Toby ghost thing again. Uh-huh. You know, there's there could be more there than could one. Be multiple Tobies, multiple UFO Tobies. Yes. <laughs> so enter Thomas Mantell, the man to which this encounter would be named after. Thomas Mantell was a 25 year old World War II pilot who was well respected and highly decorated. He earned both the Air Medal of Heroism as well as the Distinguished Flying Cross given for courageous action. After the war, he joined the Kentucky Air National Guard. During these bizarre sightings, Mantell happened to already be in the air along with three other pilots, each of whom were piloting F-51 Mustangs. For those of you who don't know what those are, they are small single pilot propeller fighter airplanes, the kind used in World War II and the Korean War. Already, this is very similar to the Gorman Dogfight. We've got a vet, uh, a well-trained pilot, and flying almost the same plane. Yeah, exactly. The squad was ordered to investigate the object in the sky. One of the pilots, who was low on fuel, had to return to the base, but the other three rapidly closed in on the object, which was at around 10,000 feet and climbing rapidly. Official transcripts claim that Mantell said, quote, The object is directly ahead of me now, moving at about half my speed. It appears to be a metallic object or possibly reflection of the sun from a metallic object, and it is of tremendous size. I'm still climbing. I'm trying to close in for a better look, end quote. However, whether those were exact words or not is not confirmed as there's debate between different traffic controllers as to what he Hmm. actually said. Right. The pilots (laughs) continued to pursue the object as it rapidly ascended into the atmosphere, passing 15,000 feet. Just as a reminder, these are World War II era fighters, and they have far more limitations than planes do today. 
B.A. Hammond, one of the other pilots, later recalled, quote, I felt a little shaky at 15,000 feet because I realized we were supposed to take oxygen at 12,000 feet. Oh, my God. By the time I hit 22,000 feet, I was seeing double. <gasps> I pulled alongside Clements and indicated with gestures that I didn't have an oxygen mask. In fact, I circled my finger around my head to show him I was getting woozy. He understood the situation, and we turned back, end quote. At 22,000... He could have passed out, couldn't he? Like, I don't know. Oh, yeah, he absolutely could have passed Yeah, out. I'm trying to think of, like, the, the circumstances. That's just terrifying in itself. Well, we're, we're going to actually get into that. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> At 22,500 feet, two of the pilots, Clements and Hammond, broke off their pursuit. But Mantell continued... Down on the ground, a young boy named William Hamilton saw the pursuit as it happened. He described seeing the F-51 chasing an object that was extremely bright. At around 3.15 in the afternoon, Mantell passed 25,000 feet, and all radio and visual contact with him was lost. Shortly after, a couple from Cool Springs saw a plane in a spiraling descent. It broke up at around 2,000 feet before crashing into the ground on a farm near the border of Kentucky and Tennessee. Mantell perished in the crash. Investigators at the scene noted that his watch had stopped at 3.18 p.m., so they assumed that is when the crash occurred. From what articles read, there were no reports of unexplainable damage to his plane. Mm. Air Force officials claim that Mantell likely blacked out due to oxygen deprivation owing to his high altitude, a state known as hypoxia, which is well documented and would occur within the 28 to 30,000 feet altitude where he would have been. The official report stated, quote, since canopy lock was in place after the crash, it is assumed that Captain Mantell made no attempt to abandon the aircraft and was unconscious at moment of crash or had died from lack of oxygen before the aircraft began spiraling dive from 30,000 feet. And then he passed out, feet, essentially. Yeah, so said, yeah, okay. they're saying he probably ran out of oxygen, and at that point he's losing control of his plane, yeah. and it just came down. Within 30 minutes of the crash, the object would not be seen anymore. No further reports were made. Not long after the incident, the media storm began to take hold. Wild explanations for Mantell's death that ranged from radiation to evil magnetic rays began to litter headlines. This was the first time someone had died in an incident involving a UFO, so people were understandably taken by surprise. So, Mm. pretty similar to the Gorman dogfight, except he didn't, this guy just kept going after it and it ended up killing him. And so, killing him in the sense that, like, because he was being, he was pursuing them. So, he got. He, he died along the way. Not necessarily because the UFO attacked him. There was no evidence that right. anything attacked him. He, it's like he just lost control of the plane and crashed, which was likely because he passed out from lack of oxygen. Yeah. And so I've seen, when we've seen videos of people who purposefully undergo states of hypoxia to see how it feels, mm-hmm. you kind of lose a lot of your faculties not just your ability to move things but you stop thinking clearly yeah and so there's a chance that he was in pursuit he's like i think i can get it. i think i can get it and and over a very short period of time he entered hypoxia and he was not able to rationally say this is dangerous i'm running out of air i need to stop he would have just lost yeah, everything. i mean that happens to like divers too and all that stuff like they yeah, he, they it, start thinking it's fine they can stay there down there longer but they're getting like yeah. that poisoning I, I don't forget what it's called but yeah yeah it's not it's not a commentary on intelligence or anything like that the the smartest most rational person in the world will make stupid decisions in hypoxia yeah, so i mean if, for sure. it, if it crept up on him and yeah so it doesn't seem intentional like his plane everything about his plane like this is it looks like it broke up from from falling yeah so this, but that's i mean still though this was because they were in pursuit of a ufo exactly dun 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 
Mantell dying from hypoxia is pretty much universally accepted to be his cause of death outside of a few extreme opinions held by ufologists. <laughs> Every fact about what happened to his plane after he lost contact fits perfectly within the oxygen deprivation and subsequent loss of vehicular control. There was no lost time or mysterious damage to the plane, so at this point, his direct cause of death is not a debated issue. The issue is what it was that he saw that caused him to pursue the object Mm -hmm. so intently, which did lead to his death. Yeah, exactly. So before I get to the explanations, I want to ask you what sorts of things you expect to hear from a 1948 UFO investigation. Like, what are you expecting to hear from... From the UFOologist, like the... the those people or let's the, say what let's say what the military and government investigation says well oh, what do you okay. expect to hear oh weather balloon keep going tell me tell me give me like a couple uh reflections from jupiter okay <laughs> ball lightning okay Any, um, anything else i'm assuming maybe just like <laughs> uh testing and the pilot didn't know about well i am sad to say you're right on almost all of those oh good <laughs> so <laughs> So the so it wasn't Jupiter. Oh, Saturn. It was Venus. Damn it, it's Venus. So Whatever. the first one I want to talk about and address is the claim that everyone was just seeing Venus. This was the initial explanation that was suggested and even made it to the press. There were stories and papers claiming the pilot died in pursuit of Venus. Either way, Project Science investigations claim the pilots and witnesses saw Venus, very similar to their explanation with the Gorman dogfight we talked about last week. Okay. <laughs> However, thankfully, this claim was officially debunked after Project Science successor, Project Blue Book, reinvestigated the incident just a few years later. Mm. Dr. Alan Hynek, who was an astronomer working at Ohio State University and also worked with Project Sign, uh, was able to assert that despite the fact that Venus would have been in the correct location in the sky, the time of day, keep in mind, this was three in the afternoon. Yeah. The time of day and the season would have made it just too dim to have actually been seen. Yeah. Essentially, it wasn't bright enough to have been seen at three in the afternoon. And he also said that if it was just possibly seen, it would have been so vaguely visible, it would have just seen, seemed like a minuscule dot of light and not resembled massive objects in the sky that yeah. everyone claims And I can seen. appreciate uh, the astronomer because I think like even if just pretend he isn't into ufos or whatever he's like okay hold on i'm sick and tired of y'all like blaming our planets for these phenomenons like it's got to be something else and he's like let me explain this to you so that you don't keep saying this crazy bullshit and i like that because he's like i know this isn't a possibility yeah, you, stop you, saying it's he, a planet. he wasn't chasing a planet at three in the afternoon yeah. in the sky like how dumb do you, like this <laughs> he was chasing it before any sort of oxygen deprivation would have occurred. So mm-hmm. he would have been rational enough to know, oh, I'm chasing a a star. Well, I know it's a planet. And all but the like, others people yeah. that have seen it too, yeah. I also want to mention that witnesses on the ground saw this object rapidly climbing in altitude in a short period of time. Something stars and planets don't do. They take a while to cross the sky. <laughs> yeah, a little bit. Furthermore, people notice increased detail of the object through binoculars, which would not occur with a planet. So... I own astronomy binoculars, and when Mars was at its like closest to Earth, mm-hmm. when we looked through it, it just looked like a slightly larger red ball. Yeah, but we couldn't even we couldn't even make out the polar caps. Now we can when we had telescopes, but my astronomy binoculars, which have an insane 
magnification compared to regular binoculars. So the idea that they were looking at Venus and got extra detail through regular airfield binoculars, it, it can't be the case right. if it was just a planet. Sure, sure. You know, because when, when that one guy at Fort Knox, he looked at it, he saw like a red detail along the bottom of it. Like, mm-hmm. And he said it was massive. He said it was a quarter the size of the full moon. That's huge. There's nothing that big in the sky. Right. So now we need to go to our second favorite explanation, the other one that you guessed, the weather balloon. In this particular instance, it was suggested that it could have been a Navy skyhook weather balloon. A lot of this is attributed to an eyewitness account from an astronomer in the Vanderbilt University who said he saw a pear-shaped balloon with cables in a basket that same day. However, his testimony was from 4.30 p.m. over an hour after the crash and all sightings had stopped. Yeah, but they could have argued, like, oh, it just floated over there, that's why. Like, it was still that, but it just wasn't in the same area. Possibly. But what makes this explanation interesting is that the Skyhook Balloon program was in full effect at the time, but they were still a secret project. That Mm. means that most of the witnesses would not have known about them, and these balloons were comprised primarily of an aluminum material that would have been highly reflective and look metallic. Project Blue Book's investigation into the balloon theory was troublesome, however, because official records of Skyhook launches had been lost, or at least he wasn't allowed to find them. And people who worked on the project claimed no balloons would have been launched in that area at the time, saying the words maybe at best. So I'm a little confused. So did they launch it or not launch it? Is it that they don't know then? Since it's so uh, covered in secrecy, they may have, they may have not, maybe, but probably not. (laughs) Okay. Yeah, it's it's rough. Got it. So I have issues with both of these explanations. At this point, we discuss a lot of witnesses over a massive area seeing something weird in the sky. So we're talking a massive distance, like over 300 miles, and that calls into question if they witnessed the same object or mm. multiple similar objects in the sky. It also calls into question how visible would a skyhook weather balloon be over a distance of like 500 miles. It's kind of hard to keep a project a secret if everyone can see it across multiple states when you launch one of them. Right, exactly. So the secret project would be kind of dumb if it was that visible for, mm-hmm. from in such massive distances. Yeah. So that makes me wonder, is this really what they were doing? Witnesses also noticed other colors, such as the green mist or a red border, neither of which seemed to sound like the Skyhook weather balloon. Furthermore, and this is what we're, uh, this goes into what you were talking about earlier with the astronomer possibly seeing the object just later when it had floated over. Yeah. If we look at these accounts of a plane going to extreme heights and people seeing it rise rapidly, the objects seem to be far faster than anyone would expect from a balloon rising to the atmosphere. So also, Skyhook balloons expanded to their fullest at which is about 30 meters in diameter. And that was at high altitudes, like 100,000 feet, mm-hmm. significantly higher than the plane was was uh, chasing it. This balloon was estimated by observers to be three times that size. And it was three times that size at only 10,000 feet. So one-tenth that altitude. So if we think about it, the Skyhook balloon gets big, but not that big, and it only gets that big super high. This wasn't as high, and it was a lot bigger. I mean, all that stuff makes sense to me. I... I think it's good. I mean, it's good in the sense that, like, I'm pretty sure that one guy saw it, but I don't think it really moves fast. No weather balloon has ever moved fast in history, right? Like, no. I don't think they do that. Not at all. The official government investigation ruled this to once again be a skyhook weather balloon with a possibility of Venus taking part in the confusion, which is essentially the same story we saw with the Gorman dogfight. Thankfully, Project Blue Book's reinvestigation into it was able to essentially negate the Venus theory part of the explanation. So was it really a secret Navy weather balloon that led to the pilot's untimely death? The problem is that it sounds like even the government can't say, because their balloon explanations, although considered to be the official explanation, 
it's still only listed as plausible, and they don't even have the paperwork to prove it. Yeah. At this point, we have two possible weather balloons seeing weird planets with plane chases and everything. Unfortunately, a poor pilot died during this. But this was the second major uh, UFO incident in 1948 that was kind of a big part in the government's first UFO investigations. This was a big case. I mean, the big, big incident. I mean, someone died. Yeah. So what the hell? That That's going to have to have a full investigation of what happened. Unfortunately, I don't think any of the explanations mattered because it doesn't fit anything. I mean, even you got other specialists being like, that that doesn't happen. Like, stop saying that. So it's either a super unfortunate accident. Yeah. Or something weird happened. And it's kind of convenient that all of these happened in the same year. So maybe they learned that weather balloons were the most dangerous thing on the planet or something else is going on. Yep. Sounds like it. But I think that brings this episode to a close for this week. If you have any stories that you would like us to know and other people to know, we want to hear from you. Drop us a line at hotwpodcast at gmail.com or through any of our social media accounts. As always, we post episodes every Saturday, and you can find us on all standard podcasting platforms. We want to thank you all for joining us today. And if you're drinking along with us, cheers and have another. Responsibly, of course. If you aren't drinking and actually being responsible, I hope you can relax and drink later. And if you partied too hard last night and happened to be hungover while listening to us, don't worry, because the best cure for a hangover is fear. Bye. See ya.